Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Rights Podcast with your host, Shukri Rights. It's been whew, it's been a crazy year, to say the least. Happy New Year to all of you, wherever you may be, however you may be listening and now watching on YouTube. Always appreciated. I am very excited and happy to have back my good friend who is back with a podcast for the second time. First time since spring 2020. That's former NHLer and NHL alumni, Cam Connor, joins the podcast today. How are you doing, Mr. Connor? I'm doing good, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, a happy New Year to uh, Happy New Year to you and yours, uh, man. I still have to grasp the fact that it's 2021 now, and the last time that we spoke was, I believe, it was May of 2020. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, and. Tell me how much has changed on your end, if at all, between the last time we spoke on the podcast and now. Well, I could go in a number of directions with that uh, query. Sure. One, we all know COVID's changed the world, not just, Mm -hmm. you know, our country or your country. It's changed the world. And there's been a lot of adjustments from people losing jobs, laid off, to working at home. It's uh, it's the world's done a 360 since we last talked. Yeah. And plus for myself, I am now retired from working the nine to five life. Um, it oh. wasn't my choosing the company I worked for, even though I was the leading sales guy, I did $54 million in sales the last three wow. or four years. They just tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, you're done uh, on Friday and then uh, we'll give you a severance. And so, I said, I guess this is my cue to retire. Wow. Uh, number so, one, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, oh, I mean, man. like. It's life, right? Yeah. yeah but, but like, I mean, that's been the story for so many people in 2020 yes. in which that, hey, you're done. Um, we're not bringing you back. And I, I, my heart really does go out to, um, to people. But, but for you, um, it is, it's an accomplishment when you are. Um, when you've, you've accomplished so much in your life, whether it be professionally uh, as hockey and even away from hockey, that I just get the sense that you seem to have a, a, a feeling or an aura of contentment. Is that right or am I wrong? You know, I had my own plan, you know, going into retirement. I'm uh, 66 years old. Mm-hmm. In August, I'll be 67. And I'm probably the most immature guy at 66 <laughs> years old you're going to meet. Because I sure don't think like 66. And, you know, I had a vision of, uh, I'd been with this company for 10 years. And I, again, I was doing great. And, and they came as a little bit of a surprise that mm. my destiny was determined by somebody else. Because in my mind, I was going to work till the end of 2020, maybe end of 2021. Mm. And, you know, that was in my head. And so, again, when they tap you on the shoulder and said, you're done by the end of the week. Thank you very much. And uh, that's it. That was a little bit of a, an adjustment. Um, so I haven't really gone out and looked to, to get back into the field. In my mind, I say, you know, at my age, not many people are going to hire somebody during the COVID and everybody's mm-hmm. being laid off, including myself. Um, so I just decided that, uh, Okay, I guess maybe maybe that's my cue to start my retirement a little earlier than what I was thinking. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if you're you know a lot younger than me and you're laid off and you can't find a job, my heart goes out to those people. So my situation, you know, 
wasn't as bad as maybe some individuals have it. So I, I don't feel sorry for myself. But, you know, just like in hockey, I was hoping to retire on my terms. And uh, they just tell you one day, you're not getting a contract, see you later. And it's no different than nine to five life. Somebody else controls you and they say, okay, you're done. So you just learn to adjust. Now, before we started doing the, the, the podcast recording, you were telling me a, such a fascinating story between you and the Hockey Hall of Famer, the late Gordie Howe, that I said, you know what, I, I, I really want you to share this story w- with the audience on the podcast. So tell me about the time that you and Mr. Gordie Howe went to go see one particular hockey movie. You may have heard of it called The Slapshot. Tell me about it. Yes, sir. That is correct. And uh, the reason I brought it up in the first place is uh, yesterday, my son and I spent two hours, the, you know, I do a podcast. It's called View from the Penley Box. Yes. And uh, so my son said, we got to do Slap Show. You got to comment. I said, that's two hours, man. Who's going to listen for two hours? But and it actually, it, for us, it went by pretty quick. We were watching the, the, the movie Slap Shot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the first time I watched it was when it came out. It came out, I believe, 1977. Yeah. And I was playing in that rival league to the NHL. It was called the World Hockey Association. Mm-hmm. And I was playing with Gordie Howe um, with the Houston Arrows. And we were on the road in Edmonton. And... Uh, the movie had just come out and Gordy and I were talking. He said, let's go see the movie Slapshot. I said, I'm in. So, you know, we went to the theater. We each got ourselves a large bucket of popcorn. And we, <laughs> and we were watching Slapshot. And, uh, you know, it's no different than when I watched the Gordy Howe movie with Mark and Marty and, and Gordy's wife, Colleen, and, you know, played by actors. And, you know, knowing the real people and their mannerisms and the way they think, I I didn't really appreciate the movie that I was watching. And having played the game of hockey at all different levels Mm -hmm. and the way the players were portrayed, you know, off ice in their hotel room, playing with trucks and cars on their bed, they just looked like nine-year-olds. And so, you know, there was some of that part that uh, was a little disgusting to me must have hurt my pride and Gordy's pride say come on man that's just not the way it is so my son said let's uh let's put a podcast together and you could narrate it and one of the things I did notice is uh you know if you look at the NHL players today and the hockey players on the whole the equipment that they wear it's state-of-the-art man the shoulder pads uh, like all the equipment the skates is so much better um than when I played. So in the movie Slapshot, they show the guys in the dressing room and you should take a look at the equipment that these guys have to put on. Wow. There is zero protection. It's actually almost funny. And it's a, it's a lot heavier, the equipment, because I remember when I... I always wondered how much the equipment weighed, so I didn't wear a helmet. And so I, I, I got undressed, no clothes on, got on the scale, weighed myself. And then I put all my hockey gear on, including my skates, I didn't have my stick in my hand and I didn't wear a helmet and I got on the scale and the equipment that we wore back in those days was 22 pounds. Wow. And so I would just guess that today, if somebody was to do that and get on the scale, I don't think, cause those pants, those hockey pants we used to wear, damn, those things were heavy. 
and uh, they used to have suspenders. So you, you know, you wear suspenders over your shoulders, supporting those pants. Mm-hmm. And then when the sweets came over, they said, what are you guys wearing suspenders for? It puts all the weight on your shoulders and upper body. And they were a little smarter than us. They just wore belts. So we got rid of suspenders and we put belts, which put it, the weight around your hips. And so, um, so anyways, the equipment, it's come a long way. And, uh, uh, you know, I still have my old equipment. I don't know if it's worth anything, but I got all my old equipment. That's for sure. I mean, just hearing that the equipment weighed 22 pounds in itself is like, wait. And it just gives me even more admiration and just respect that I have for hockey players because you're skating full speed with 22 pounds of equipment. Now, I played football and I, I cannot, I can never understand fully what it's like to skate full speed with 22 pounds of equipment. And the fact that you even like weighted is amazing in its own right, which leads me to, to wonder how how does how does a hockey player like condition himself to such a great extent while ensuring that the equipment that he wears does not affect his performance on the ice? Well, I would say this. What a big difference is when you get to do an optional practice at a pro level. You could go on the ice uh, without equipment on. You know, the guys always wore two pieces of equipment. They didn't wear a helmet. They wore a, a jock, mm-hmm. protect something very valuable. Yeah. <laughs> elbow pads. Those are the wow. only two that we had to wear. It was mandatory. Um, but, you know, when you start off as a little kid, the equipment you put on, it's got zero weight to it. And you just, year after year, every time you just put that equipment on. And so, you know, if you always skated your whole life without equipment and one day they said, you got to wear 22 pounds worth, it would be a major adjustment, major adjustment. But again, you know, when we would go on the ice without equipment, you go, man, am I ever fast out here? Look, I can, look how fast I can skate without 20 <laughs> Like it was a big difference, right? With, with and without. But, uh, you know, it's just something that, you know, you always have to wear. It, so it just kind of grows with you from, you know, a six, seven-year-old right through your life. So you don't really even think about it once you get it on. But, you know, if you look at a lot of the athletes and hockey players, um, their thighs are pretty damn big um, yeah. from supporting that. So they've got huge thighs, for sure. Which is which is astonishing because when I, I remember the first time, like, watching, like, videos, just playing old videos on NHL.com and, and like, players training, and, and I noticed it's like, but by and large part, a lot of the players have some really sturdy like legs, like especially like the thigh area where that's your power base, where you you that's where you generate most of your power. And yes. like if in fact for you, in fact, I think this is actually a perfect segue going into the NHL now in the restarting phase, getting ready for the 2020-2021 season, which is officially starting on January 13th. Training camps are opening up now. What was your method of training during the offseason and preparation for an NHL season? Well, you know, that's a good question. Back in my day, um, they didn't really have anybody, you know, on the payroll with the NHL, you know, or even junior hockey that would say to you, this is how you should train in the offseason. I kind of tried to keep up on it. I know some people that went to Russia, excuse me, to study 
the Russian because they were great skaters. They're, they were unbelievable in the 70s. Um, and so there was things to learn. So they went to Russia and they studied the Russians and they talked to people. So they came back and I'd pick their brain. What do they do? And so they gave me some of the training things that they did. And one of them was they, they said, if you want stronger ankles, you get an old pair of your skates and do them up in the summertime and run all over your grass. I said, really? Wow. So I put skates on and I would be running around my yard. And I'm sure the neighbors would go, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> and you gotta, you know, you gotta jump over your sidewalk and glad on the other side. And so, oh gosh. so, you know, you kind of did what you thought. And a lot of the things that I, I, I did as I look back was really not very productive. Mm. And so the best things that I found that was doing wind sprints because hockey's a game of stops and starts. And so if you get out there and you do 40 yard dashes, 50 yards, and you do a lot of wind sprints, um, that, that was very productive. And I remember when I was in the world hockey at Houston arrows and the team folded and I am now going to play for the Montreal Canadians. And again, nobody told me a thing about here's the proper way to train. So every day in my mind, um, I would go to, uh, it was a golf course and it was to go to run around the outside of the golf course was just over five miles. Wow. And every day, so I don't know if you've been to Houston, but in the summertime, it's 100% humidity at 12 noon. It is freaking hot. So oh. I said to myself, okay, if I go out there and I work harder than anybody else, um, you know, wait till training camp. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be proud of myself, and I push myself every single day in the summertime. I went out and I did long distance running in the heat, and um, you know, when I got to Montreal, like I thought for sure, when I'm on the inside and it's cool, I'll be just, I have so much energy. It, it actually, what happened to me was, is I used to have a you know, a pretty good bill because I used to work out with the weights and, you know, box with my buddies and uh, you do push-ups all the time. But I, I kind of got away from it that summer. And um, when I when I went to camp, I kind of looked in the mirror and I started, I had a build like a long distance runner. Wow. So you got uh, tall and thin. I didn't have the muscles I used to have. And when I got on the ice, the long distance training, yeah, I had good wind, but it was the wind sprints and other things that, uh, you know, I should have been doing. So I learned a real hard lesson. It kind of put me behind the eight ball in the year that I wanted to do the best I could to uh, represent myself. And, uh, and so as we went along, you know, and I'm with the Rangers, they did give us a, a book, which I still got. It's like a pamphlet type book. Mm you know what you should be doing in the off season and they actually if you took a look at a hockey player's body after the summer okay you get the summer to recharge your batteries and you can work out and so if you took a picture of a hockey player coming to training camp he's in good shape he's got muscles looks good but when i played with montreal we played in about six seven months 116 games mm. when we won and that works out to three to four games a week, not including your, all your travel, not including your practices, wow. not including 
the coaches, you know, there's some variables they can't control with the player, but they can all control conditioning. So they work you like a dog on the ice. And if they took a picture of your body at the end of the season, it looked like you just got on a concentration camp. Your body was so skinny and beat up. The muscles just weren't there and you needed that summer. But with the Rangers, they give you five days off. That was it. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your summer. And then they give you this program, which, my Lord, you start five days after the season's over. And it wasn't, you know, let's just work up to a level. It was like right off the bat. Work your ass off. Like wind sprints. And you got you to gotta do wind sprints and then go slow for 10 seconds and then turn it on again and then and it was it was hard hard work so you know i don't know what the guys got going for them today but i do know because it's a business hockey today and they got everybody on the payroll you I mean they feed you right after practice right so the single guys yeah. used to go out and eat or drink or whatever we used to do now they go into their like the orders you should see their dressing room it's second to none so when you walk by they got like if you ever walk into a, a hotel lobby and they got a like a, it's all, it's like wide open space with couches and yep. well, you walk into Oilers dressing room and it's just like that. It's got a fireplace you can see from anywhere within the training room area. They got like a restaurant in there where there's somebody feeding you guys every day and they got a weight room. They got an indoor hockey rink. Like it's, it's right in your dressing room. And so these guys are really taken care of to say, hey, you concentrate on doing well on the ice. We'll take care of everything else. So they've got the trainers that we never have had back in my day. So these guys are a lot more in tune with the things you should and shouldn't be doing. And, uh, you know, we always learn the hard way. Now, I don't know what it is, but it seems like you've always heard about this later in which that there's always – that one or two players that show up to training camp overweight or out of shape during your playing career. Do you have any stories or memories of whether if it was yourself or a teammate of yours who came to training camp and was rather out of, out of shape and it showed up pretty quickly on day one at training camp. Well, there's a couple stories that I remember. I remember with the Oilers, um, there was a one guy who was a defenseman who you caught, you saw him the year before. And, uh, you know, he was just average, decent sized defenseman. The next year you see him, holy cow, the muscles on him. And, you know, in the game of hockey, honest to God, uh, when I played, I didn't know anybody that ever used steroids because mm. hockey is a game of reaction. And um, you can't, you know, you hear about them in other sports. <laughs> excuse me so like in football maybe if you're and i'm making this up if you're a lineman and you you need to bulk up and you do take some steroids or you're an all-star wrestling mm-hmm. you know you, you you're not playing the game of hockey where you're going up and down quick turn to the left quick turn to the right um and maybe you can get away with it but this guy came and you could tell that he had done steroids man you just <laughs> don't, you just don't look like that you know and he's the wow. only guy that i ever knew but you know what Right from day one, he had a torn this and a torn muscle and a torn ligament because, again, he grew too fast for the game of hockey. So nobody in hockey that I knew of, and I would say today, would ever get on steroids. 
And so that was the one thing I noticed at training camp, somebody a little bit different. He wasn't necessarily overweight. <laughs> but the other one, I don't know if you know, there was a, a player that I played with in Montreal. His name was Pierre LaRouche. I've heard of him. And if you ever Google, that guy's stats were pretty impressive. So he got drafted by Pittsburgh. He was a French-Canadian. That guy scored 50 goals, like I think, in the NHL um, with 18 teams. And he did it twice. And so he uh, and he played for Pittsburgh. And he had some good stories. And Pierre was telling me one day, there was a guy that played in the National Hockey League. His name was Steve Durbano. And he was actually a first-round draft choice. He was a defenseman. And uh, he was the only guy that I ever saw. He, he played in the National League, and he was such a lunatic that they wanted him out there that they actually, the NHL, traded him to a team called Birmingham Bulls in the World Hockey for a player the World Hockey had named Vaslav Nedomansky, who used to be the captain of the Czech national team. Good finesse hockey player. They made the trade. They just wanted Steve out of their league. So, of course, he comes to our league. And it's just like Muhammad Ali says, nobody's afraid of a tough guy, but everybody's afraid of a crazy man. And that was like Debano. He was still, yeah, he's dead now. So I could talk about him because he can't get me. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was a lunatic. You like, I didn't want to fight the guy because you know, you beat him up, you know he's going to spear you in the face next shift. Like, that's just somebody I don't want to mess with. And so Pierre was telling me he played on Pittsburgh with him. And that they had training camp. And, you know, you're trying to do your very best to impress everybody. Look at the stats I got. And you come in, your good body weights. And so he was in there doing a stress test. Uh, and he was on the stationary bike to get all these wires station to you and you know you got your head down and you'd be trying your best so the guys come in around the corner and there's the battle on a stationary bike all hooked up to these wires and he's he's riding it not very fast the bike and he's having a smoke you're joking <laughs> he's, he's having a smoke while he's doing his dress test no way so i just wow. said that is pretty freaking bizarre right? <laughs> and so you know just because i'm talking about the battle and he, he also told me and I'm a gullible guy, but he told me another story that when Broad Street bullies were around and they had their four or five top guys, that they were in the old Philadelphia spectrum. Yeah. The battles, he was a defenseman and they had a face-off rate kind of in front of the Flyers bench. And sometimes guys will chirp you from the other team's bench, you know, and uh, you just ignore it. Well, they were, somebody was saying something to him and DeBano thought it was the trainer. So DeBano, now this is again, Pierre's told me this. You might call bullshit on it. I don't know, but he, <laughs> it, he, he told me it was true. He, DeBano, heard somebody tripping him. He turned around and he just speared the trainer in the mouth and knocked his teeth out in Philadelphia while the whole bench come over after DeBano. And DeBano, he said, skated down to the other end of the ice and he pushed the goalie out of the net and he took the, the nets off its moorings and he pulled it up against the boards so the Flyers couldn't get out of him. I said, are you shitting me? Wow. No, that's true story. So take it for what it's worth. No, no, oh, we're talking about the battle. I, wow. I think in today's... 
Wow. Um, in in today's hockey world, I I wow. The only the only instance where I could honestly ever see that happening is the is the Battle of Alberta between Calgary and Ed, Edmonton. Yeah. And speaking speaking of which. <sighs> This this is this is why I'm I'm genuinely happy to be talking to you right now because it's stories like this that makes me think about hockey during that era and what that must have been like. Yeah. But I I find the story to be believable for 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 this reason particularly because in the 70s from everything that I've learned and I, I'm a young man I'm only 29 years old. From everything that I've read, you talk about that was an absolute bloodbath of an era of hockey. You had the, the big bad Bruins, you had the oh, Brushery yeah. Bullies, and you had oh, those yeah. great Montreal teams of, of the 70s, which which you were a part of as well. Now, this season, you have the, the all-Canadian division, and I know hockey fans in Canada are excited. And I'm eager to get your thoughts on the, the Canadian division as well as you're in, you're in Edmonton, so you you I'm sure and correct me if I'm wrong. You watch the Oilers quite yep. frequently, gotcha. and, and and you're and you're like familiar with the Calgary Calgary Flames. How much fun is it going to be watching those two teams face off each other eight times this upcoming season? Well, you know the hockey fans are excited. There is questions as to what kind of caliber of hockey, considering I think I heard just today mm-hmm. that tomorrow is, is is Sunday. Yes. And yes. and I don't know what the date is today. What is it? The third? The second. 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 So yeah. on the third, training camp opens. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first game is the 13th. I don't know how much guys have been skating with the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's ice available and you could rent it yourself. Like, I don't know if they've been on ice. And, you know, I am more excited when the real season comes, they've had the summer to train and they've been skating for the last month and a half right. and they can't wait to get their training camp. And then you get a, you know, a week or two of good hard skating and then you start the season. I'm hoping that the season starts off with a bang and it's not like sloppy, not good hockey. Like, mm. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Time will tell. Cause I'm watching the junior games right now that are going on the world yes. juniors mm-hmm. and uh, that's out of Edmonton. And, uh, you know, I felt so bad for like the German team. They had eight guys with COVID. And so when they took on the mighty team Canada, who had nobody out and they had 14 players on the bench, including their extra goalie. Was that the 16 to one game, by the way? Yeah. 16 to two. That oh was exactly. So, so here you are team Canada powerhouse mm-hmm. taking on the Germans who, you know, they need every player in the lineup in order to be competitive. And right. they're getting better. The Germans every year, they're getting better and better. But when you got 14 players on the bench, it was I was I actually changed the channel like to me, <laughs> like to me wow. I've seen it football where and I don't know about the NFL but I know in the Canadian Football League when one team is kicking the crap out of the other and it's a big score difference yeah well in the last you know 10 minutes 20 minutes and whatever of the game they start doing more the low percentage so they don't low percentage play so they don't rack up the scores 
you know, and keep her going and really humiliate the other team, they'll try to maybe hand off up the middle and they try it again. And, you know, they know they're going to win, but they're trying not to humiliate. Yeah. And you know, maybe it's not that easy in hockey, but, you know, I'm saying to myself when it was 10 to one, halfway through the game, I'm saying, come on, guys, you know, don't be doing this to the Germans. Like, they only got 14 players. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that the coach could try to get a little bit more creative. And, and you know, some people laugh at me, but you know you're going to win the game. And so I said, okay. My son said, well, how would you do that? Well, you got to think outside the box. So I would have, seriously, I would have. Honest to God. It would have made it fun. I would have said to the defense, okay, three guys are going on the forward line now. And you put three defensemen playing forward. So, wow. you know, if they got some goals scored against them, does it really matter? The goalie gets some extra work from Team Canada. And at the end of the day, you got your two points. You've changed the atmosphere for the D, where they they always say, man, it's so easy being a forward. And so you put them up there. And it, it, it just things you got to get a little more creative. And again, that's just my thoughts. But, you know, going back to your original question, you know, we're excited. And it's going to take a while in my mind, and I could be totally wrong, before the real product starts going. And who's to say that COVID's not going to rear its ugly head and all of a sudden it's a great point. teams that, that, that have got COVID and we're going to have to suspend the season for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be a lot of unknowns. Um, you know, my first thoughts were, let's just get this thing defeated first. But I understand also that a lot of the sports teams, restaurants, there's a lot of people hurting financially because of this. And so they're going to do their best to put a product on the ice and hopefully it's going to turn out to be, you know, really good and it's going to be interesting to watch. So, you know, when you get these Canadian teams playing each other, you know, we're all looking forward to seeing the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens a lot more because those were the original two out of the six teams. Yes. Along with, you know, Boston and mm-hmm. Rangers, Detroit. Yeah. And Chicago. And Chicago. Can't forget Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, you know, it's in Canada, when those two teams come to town, you can't get a ticket. Toronto or Montreal go on the road. And I remember when I played with Montreal, we would go on the road and uh, without even trying to be funny, there'd be more people in the stands on our away game wearing Montreal Canadian jerseys. Wow. And the home team. Like that happened all the time. So it's going to be really good for the fans. It's going to create a lot of interest. And, um, you know, even though the fans won't be able to go, um, you know, it's still, they're going to be pretty happy getting to see these teams uh, on television. For sure. And I want to, step away from um from talking about the upcoming season for a bit which we'll get more into in just a bit but there's there was a video that i saw last night that really caught my eye and my attention and i i want to have the opportunity to talk about it with you and that is you you appeared in a video with um uh, with the montreal canadians on on the montreal canadians uh, twitter site get sending your best wishes to, to hockey hall of famer Guy Lefleur, who had been dealing with some health issues for, for, he got for lung cancer. Yeah, he, he has cancer. he has lung cancer. Wow, and um, and I want to get your thoughts on on Guy Lafleur, the the teammate, friend, and what he and what he means to you, and as well as his as his uh, fight with lung cancer right now. Yeah, you know, 
in that little clip that you saw. Yeah. And I talked about really when I think of Guy Lafleur, I don't think about you know he was one of the best hockey players because he was consistent. And when you took on the big bad Bruins, I remember in the playoffs um, after playing the Bruins. Um, and they had their tough boys, like the O'Reillys and the oh, Winsinks yeah. and the Jonathans, and they were at Millbury. And so I'm in the shower with the Fleur, and I see his, his, his stomach and his back. Mm. I said, look at all those welts. How'd you get that? He goes, oh, the Bruins, they spear me and they slash me. Wow. And, and his body, honestly, it had full of marks. Like, I noticed it. And the thing that I liked is uh, I remember playing hockey and it got rough out there and somebody would get speared or slashed and they'd come to the bench and they would say to the coach, coach, go get Cam, tell him to get this guy. He just did this to me. And, you know, I used to think, you coward, man. Why did you stick up for yourself? <laughs> stick up for yourself, like, you know? And so the flirt, he never, he never, you could do what you needed to do to him. And some guys will slow down, okay, because I'm not going in the corner because they're going to really try to get. He would still play. He wouldn't take a step backwards. He always, always showed up for the tough games. He went in the corners. He did what he had to do. He'd go in front of the net, and he'd never complain. He'd just get his welts and his spears, and just that's part of the game. And so, you know, I hung around with Guy. He lived near my house in Montreal, and we would travel sometimes to the games together. Uh, to the airports when we had our charter flights. And, um, you know, Guy, I played with some hockey players whose names you would recognize, but I won't say their names. Man, you know, they were, if you didn't talk about them and their accomplishments, they, they would just have nothing to say to you. And when I saw those Montreal Canadian guys, I think there's, I would say there's 12 of them that are in the Hockey Hall of Fame that yeah. I played with. Those guys were the most modest. They'd show up. They didn't take a step backwards. And uh, Lafleur, Le, I love the man. I mean, he's probably, you know, and I talk about Gordy Howe, and Gordy was another really good, good man. But I think, you know, my favorite is Lafleur, just because he's modest, his hockey abilities. He was always a happy person, but he did smoke too much. Now, that's well documented. And for example, just because I specifically remember we're taking the Bruins on in the semifinals and they're in matter, they're in our rink at the Montreal Forum. And so most guys, if it's a 7.30 game, you arrive to the dressing room anywhere between 5 and 5.30 and you, you, know, you slowly get yourself ready, you know, physically and mentally for the game. The Fleur would be there by 2 in the afternoon. The day of the game, he would put his full gear on. And if you've ever played the game of hockey, you don't, you put your skates on, you know, just before you go on the ice because your feet will swell up because you got to do the skates up tight. And back in those days, I can't speak today, you would wear, if you had a shoe size of 10, you would wear a nine skate. Um, and because you, you, your, your toes would be curled up, your skates would be about a size smaller than your shoe size. And so your feet swell up. And the Fleur would have his skates, everything done up, everything. He's ready to go right at two o'clock. And he'd go into the trainer's room, which was seriously the size of a bedroom, a little bigger than a bedroom in a house. And um, <laughs> he would lock the door and he would sit there. 
until two minutes before we had to go on the ice. And then one of the guys would knock on the door and that was Lefleur's signal. Okay, we're going on the ice. So he had four hours, five hours just to sit there and think about the game, which is what he did, but he would smoke the whole time. And so when it was time to come out, open the door and that training room is in our dressing room, our whole dressing room filled with smoke. It just poured out of there. He was smoking the whole time between periods. And he was a nervous guy. He'd go to the bathroom, sit on the toilet and have a smoke. Um, you know, but that was Guy. That was how he calmed his nerves. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it worked for him, but it caught up to him, right? You do that for a long time. And, and I guess if you smoke during the season, in the off season, you're not going to quit. So he probably smoked way too much, but he was a nervous, he was like a thoroughbred, just always high maintenance, not maintenance, but high strung. Mm. high strung and yeah. that kind of kept them grounded and unfortunate so you know when i heard this about Guy, honestly he's one of the finest human beings you will ever meet like i said he, he never talked bad about people um, i i just can't say enough about the guy as, as you can tell yeah and i just listening to you talk about your experiences with Guy lefleur and as well as like the impact he, that he's had on you and share with me one of your favorite uh, memories playing alongside with him, whether it be um, during, from a regular season game or, or during the playoffs as you guys battle together for the Stanley Cup. Well, you know, I, I keep talking about Boston. It's not just because that's your neck of the road. <laughs> I mean, because Boston and Montreal, that, that is the ultimate rivalry in well, hockey, bar none. Yeah, it is. And so... I uh, I missed uh, the a little bit of the playoffs, like the last, the 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 against the, the Rangers, we won, we beat them for the Stanley Cup that year. I was there, um, seventy nine. But but I but I missed the last game, I believe, against Boston, mm. uh, because I got food poisoning in Boston and I got really really sick. Wow. And so I remember watching Lafleur in that game, and I think, and I may be wrong. I think it was game seven that that the Bruins were leading with just a couple minutes to go in the game and they got a too many men on the ice and it was Don Cherry coaching. And so they were leading and if they win, they win, they, they win, they beat us for, you know, and they move on to the finals. And so they got too many men. And so I'll never forget it. Guy Lafleur's coming down the right wing and he just gets over the Bruins blue line and he does a drop pass. Jacques Lemaire was behind him. He, was, he still went straight and, uh, and, and Jacques got him the puck. And Guy, a great goal scorer, they can get that puck on and off their stick right away. And that's what he did. Mm. And I remember from the angle of the camera, it went the far side on, it wasn't Cheevers. Uh, I can't remember the goalie's name. It'll come to Gilles Gilbert. Does that sound right? Gilles? Uh, yeah, yeah. Something, something like right. that. Yeah. Like, it, it almost seemed like there was only enough room for the puck to turn on its, on the edge. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I don't know how it fit in there, but the first thread that needle, it hit the far side, scored, tied it up, and then we won, I think it was in overtime. Yeah. And um, and I remember saying, wow. So I said to Guy, Guy, did you pick that corner? And he said, no, no. He said, I just knew where the net was. 
And that's what goal scorers can do. Like, they've just got some ability that I don't have. Um, you know, and same with Gretzky. And there was a guy named Bernie Nichols that played in L.A. Mm. These guys can shoot it from every angle. And somehow that puck will find a way in the net. And he had that ability, man. He, he, he could put it on the net and that puck had eyes. It find its own way in that net. And that's one, that's the one memory that I'd never forget. How, how did you put that puck in that little tiny little spot and get it in? And uh, so, you know, again, you know, and he had so many goals that he scored, you know, but that was the one. And again, it just happened to be against the Bruins that I remembered the most. We talk about goal scorers and we talk about uh, players who have the ability to to have that that I guess that that sense for the net, if you will. Yeah, and like how like how you, you're the Montreal Canadiens or the teams that the teams that you played on, they had a nose for the the open net like very few teams ever did. And I I, I gotta ask you. Especially for for some for someone who for, for any player who has a knack for scoring, I'm sure there had been times where you where you shoot you shooting from like a severe angle or anything like that, and somehow you're able to get the puck in. Like, what type of drills do you do to like work on that particular um, part of your game? Because I can only imagine, especially if you're facing against an elite goaltender, that's not an easy thing to do. Well, you're 100% right. It, and, you know, you might think this is a cliche, but I, I honestly believe it. You know, I know for myself, um, you know, in the World Hockey one year, I got 35 goals. But, you know, I would stay out all the time late and I go in and I try to pick the corners, you know, and everybody's gone in and I got an empty net. Man, I got in those corners every single time. And then when you put a freaking goalie in that net, I don't know why I couldn't hit those holes anymore. <laughs> and and you can practice your shot. You can practice getting it away. And the thing they always said in hockey is just get it on the net. Mm. The goalie has to stop it, even if you don't know where it's going. Make him stop it. Get it on the net. Well, I get it on the net. But, you know, those other guys, they also seem to shoot more, right? If you look at the guys that are leading the team in points and goals, and, and they'll show you shots. Take a look at their shots on net. Now, it's also directly related to they're getting a lot more shifts on the ice than anybody else, too. Yeah. Okay. But they shoot the puck. Okay, perfect example. I played with Phyllis Mazzino and big old Bruin. And I needed some goals. I, I was I had some chances. I wasn't scoring. And Espo always got lots of points, got lots of ice time. And I remember we got a two-on-one against the defenseman. And the defenseman, what he's supposed to do on a two-on-one is you, the goalie concentrates on the guy with the puck. That's where his focus is. There's the other guy who you as a defenseman, your job is to make sure that puck doesn't go across to that other guy. Because if the goalie's focusing on the puck and it goes across, the guy's got an open net, right? Yeah. And it's not yeah. the goalie's fault. It's the defenseman's fault. So here we are. Here is Esposito and I, and I'm in the middle of the ice. He's up against the boards. We get over the blue line in the other team's end. The defenseman rushes Esposito. And I'm going, oh, this is perfect. And I'm waiting for a pass. He takes a wrist shot from the blue line. And I look. 
And I remember that, you know, well, that's pretty selfish. And so, you know, you go back to the bench. And so I said, oh, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Because usually you'll see him go, didn't you see me? Right? You know, I just kept my mouth shut a few sh shifts later. And then I said, Bill, you know, in that last play, did, did you see me in the middle of the ice open when the defenseman rushed you? He goes, yeah, but I had a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> so I just laughed to myself. Yeah, but that's why they get 50 goals. And you see these same guys, for the most part, it's not a rule, but it's pretty close. If you get a two-on-one with a 50-goal scorer, he's got the puck. You might as well go sit on the bench because you're not getting – he's not passing it. He's not thinking about throwing it across. He's thinking, shoot, the whole time he's coming down, whereas I would come down and kind of – Okay, is the guy coming at me? The defenseman is the goalie. Is I got something to shoot at? You know, maybe I put too, made it too complicated. But if I was to do my career again, I have any two on ones. The other guy better go sit in the bench because I'm shooting for now on. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about when you when you play with the Rangers, you play with Phil Esposito. I mean, this is a man who just he only scored 717 goals. No, no big deal, right? I mean, but speaking of defensemen. You make this one, and I'm, I'm quite sure you you recall some guy named Larry Robinson, who, without question, is one of the all time great defensemen to ever play in the International Hockey League. In my book, he's top ten without question. You not just because of not just because of this defensive aspect, but in terms of winning the Norris Trophy or anything like that, but because what he could bring offensively as well in the little things. Now, what makes a defenseman elite? In terms of his ability to to take away those those shooting lanes or those shooting angles, and as well as being able to to take away the or those opportunities to make the to make the right pass over to the forward, you know, those guys that are at that level, it's not an accident that they've made the right choice. You know, they've learned lessons from a little kid up, and they've had some good coaches. And, um, you know, they've seen that situation before. They don't panic. And, you know, sometimes out there they make the wrong decisions and they realize, man, why did I rush them? I should have waited. Mm. You know, but for the most part, you know, you talk about Larry Robinson, he made the right decisions. Like he would know as a defenseman, your job is to keep the puck carrier to the outside. And if the guy wants to shoot the puck from the outside, that's called the low percentage shot. Mm. Those goalies will take that all day long. So Larry will give him the outside. So the guy thinks he's got some more skating room. And then he takes the skating room away. He's got that long reach. And he doesn't have to necessarily paste you into the boards. He's got that long reach. He sticks it there. And he either knocks the puck off your stick or it deflects and the goalie just catches it. Eh? So that's just from experience. And Larry's, he had the build for a defenseman. He was long. He was tall. You know, it's like Chara, right? Do you try to go around him? Good luck. You know, that's just like, uh, you know, like the reach on him. You got to be having a lot of speed with a lot of room to try to get around him. And Larry was along those lines, too. He knew how to use his stick and his long arms. Um, he knew the game of hockey and the percentages. And he didn't make the same mistake over and over and over. These guys, they learn what they've done wrong. They learn what they've done right. And Larry had confidence. The coaches all loved him. The players all loved him. And um, again, 
he had, uh, you know, he, 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 he just learned all his lessons and he had the tools and he had the desire. And it's like the rest of the Montreal Canadiens, man, those guys worked hard in practice, every single one of them. And they're all really nice guys. And so they have in their dress to do. And I don't remember the exact words, but they show somebody holding a torch and mm. with a flame that says, we, the players from the past, pass the torch on to you. The present players said, carry on what we've done. And, it's, and you know, so when you come into that Canadian's dressing room, you read that and you know the history of the Canadians. Mm. It means something to you. And you want to carry that torch and you want to do as well as the predecessors. And uh, so I think Larry... You know he's uh, he's done great for himself over the years, and uh, and you know I keep talking about wonderful people. Larry's like that too. He's so down to earth. He grew up on a farm. Oh. And Larry had the values. If I don't know if you ever met farmers, they're so down to earth and uh, just unassuming. They don't brag about themselves, and that's like Larry. He's got those values of somebody who grew up on a farm. Speaking of all-time great defensemen, and I'd be remiss if I did not bring this topic up to the table to discuss. Earlier in this podcast, you talked about sometimes like decisions being made that is out of your hands, so to speak. This week, in fact, just the last few days, the major story in the NHL is surefire future Hall of Fame defenseman Zidane Chara, now former Boston Bruin and former captain of the team, leaving to go sign with the Washington Capitals on a one-year $795,000 contract. Now, as someone who who had the decision made for them, so to speak, and with the Bruins, it seemed as if that that situation was decided for him based upon the explanations that came out here in Boston just a few days ago. What are your thoughts on the news of Chara leaving the Boston Bruins after 14 years to go sign with the rival Washington Capitals for less than a million dollars? Well, it's a travesty because he didn't want to leave Boston, number one. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who the decision maker is in Boston. If If it's, you know, their GM, the president of the team, or is the owners telling them what to do? Mm. You know, because sometimes the owners tell them what to do and they can't say, well, it was not me. It's the owner who's telling me you can't say it. So they kind of take all the flack. So I don't know who started the, we don't need Chara anymore. But I can honestly say, like, whatever happened to loyalty? Whatever Good happened point. to, okay? Yeah. And so when you get a guy like Chara, who has been, for the most part, a rock back there. He's been... There's nobody built and, and like him. He's got a little bit of a mean streak when he wants to. And he's been a plus over the 14 years, more so than a yes. negative, right? Mm-hmm. And so to me, I would have said to myself, number one, Charles not saying, I need five million a year, right? He's he's getting minimum wage. I think there's a ceiling, I'm gonna say seven hundred or seven fifty or somewhere yeah. around yeah. there yeah. in the NHL. Yeah. So he's getting minimum wage and what i read in edmonton it said that chara decided that he was told that he would get minimalized time and you know what when you're a proud warrior and to be sitting on the bench if you're even dressing like that hurts you that hurts you a lot because you've always been a warrior and now just to 
sit on the bench that that, that you got pride. And in my mind, he was cooperating. He was going for the minimum wage. I want to stay here. You would say to him, I would say to him, I wouldn't promise him you're getting it here to the top four D. I would say you've been great over the years. Your last season wasn't as good as what we've seen, but you're in tip-top shape. Yeah, you're getting older, but you still have the tools, and we know you're always in great shape. So let's give it, you know, give it your best in the offseason. Come with a new frame of mind. Um, and you know what? We will give you, we will start you off, and you're going to get a regular shift. And it'll be up to you. You know, how well you do will determine how much ice time you get. Rather than just tell them, you're not getting too much ice time, or you're going to be on the bench, and maybe you might not even dress. Like, that's pretty discouraging. Whereas somebody yeah. else is saying, you know what? We recognize for what you've done. We've had to play against you for 14 years. We'd be happy to have you, even if you're not at the old form. We'd be happy because you've also got leadership skills. You've also can mentor some of the young guys on the team. Mm -hmm. Just like you talk about Larry Robinson. Larry would always go talk to the young guys. Doesn't matter if they're going to take his job. He would pass on the knowledge. Chara would be the same way. And so to me, that's a disgrace. That they didn't, and again, I could see it if he wants five million a year, you can't do it. But him to say, I will do it for minimum wage, you can find a place for him and uh, you put it on his shoulders. You don't tell him he's going to be, he hasn't even got on the ice to say you're going to get less ice time and this and this and this. We're going to say it's up to you. You're going to start. And only you can get yourself out of that position. And and that's that's all you had to do. And it's a shame because, like, one of the big things that I've had to to wrestle with is this is a man for 14 years was the captain, and he, yeah. and and I and I feel like Bruin fans, and it really angers me when I when I go on social media and I read a lot, like not all, but a, a pretty good chunk of Bruin fan base say, well, he's getting old. He needs to go. Like, it's time for Patrice Bergeron to be the captain. Patrice Bergeron is another surefire Hall of Fame forward. Mr. Selkie himself, who's tied Bob Ganey with the most Selkies in NHL history. But you talk about a man who chose to come to Boston. And I'll never forget this. Summer of 2006. Charles, a free agent. Ottawa said, we're not going to bring you back. We're going to give up on you. Sounds like similar to what the New York Islanders did. He said, you know what? We're going to go to Boston. I want to go to Boston. And he immediately demanded the captaincy of that team. Took it upon himself to become the leader that he became. To change the culture of, the, of, of a Bruins franchise that I, I, would, I would be honest to say that prior to 07, 08, there was there were some lean years. Like there, there were years that the Bruins would they would lose in the first round. I mean, heck, in 04, they lost to Montreal in the first round. And this was a man that changed the fabric and the culture of that locker room and led the Bruins to the Stanley Cup, led the Bruins back to the Stanley Cup finals twice. And to me, it was just like, I don't understand for the life of me that. There's an old saying that goes in life. You don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. And I fear yeah. that a lot of the Bruin fans who wanted him to be gone 
they're not going to realize exactly how much was lost, not just in terms of the locker room presence, the leadership, but just the little things like penalty kill, shot blocking. You talk about his size and his reach or just a little bit earlier in the podcast. And am, am I fair to say that the loss of Sedano Chara in Boston cannot be measured based on statistics or any other metrics in hockey? I've seen it time and time again. There are certain people that they care about your teammates. They will teach you what they've learned over the years. They will take you aside as a rookie. Um, you know, they've got these leadership skills. They're not taught to you. This is how you be a leader. It comes from within. And Chara has been a leader. And you know what bothers me? It's not only in hockey, in sports. It's even in the nine-to-five world. The word loyalty, it always seems like it's a one-way street for loyalty. Mm. They all say, you be loyal to us, you be loyal. And what happens when Charon maybe needs a little bit of loyalty and think about what I've done and what I think I can do? We're going to take a chance on you, buddy, because you've been with us all these years. You deserve it. Like, what do they do? The first chance they say, okay, you're out of here, buddy. Like, what happened to the word loyalty? Right? It's a shame. And it's just, it's become a dying trait these days, especially like, as you mentioned in life and as well as in, in sports and, and like, it's, it's going to be awfully strange to see Sedano Chara in a Washington Capitals uniform. I already seen the photos like of, of, of the Capitals uniform being Photoshopped on Chara's body. And I'm just like, no, just. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a, a sore for sight type of type of deal. You know, Charles not the guy that says, "You guys didn't give me enough uh, ice time or respect last year. I want out of here." It wasn't anything like that at all. At all, he was more than happy to let's do another year. I'll just do a one year deal. I don't need a two or three year. Give me a one year deal at minimum wage. I want to come back and I want to prove to you. And then what you could have done is, you know, you give him his best chance and maybe he had a great season and it was wild and maybe it wasn't so good, but you didn't lose financially. You could always bring somebody else up from the system mm-hmm. and Chara could work with him before practice and after practice to try to pass on some of the knowledge and skills. And then I would, have again, uh, that word loyalty means a lot to me. Some organizations, you know, they're, they're players that have been with them a long time. They keep them in the organization. Mm-hmm. And a guy like Chara... I would have said to him, you know what, let's give her our best shot this year. And when your career is over, we want you in this organization. And, uh, you know, it could be on ice. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it when the year is over. But we want you. And I just think that that goes a long way, you know, to an organization, to the players, to the people that work in the front office. It's all about loyalty. And it's not just you better be loyal to us. Mm-hmm. You gotta, It's a two-way street, buddy, right? And they didn't do that with Jara. And, and I think that in itself, it's it's going – I feel like it's going to impact the organization one way or another. And I feel like the players who have already reported to Warrior Ice Arena, that they're, 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 they're feeling the loss on, on some level. And I, I feel like it, they're not going to feel it fully, entirely, immediately. But once the season gets going and in about 11 and, and for the Bruins 12 days from now, that – the impact of, of his of the loss of Chara is going to be felt 
because again, like 14 years and you've been the staple of the, of the organization. You talk about the core, like Bergeron. Bergeron is Mr. Bruin. Like he's been here since 2003, but you talk about the guys that have won the cup together, like David Krejci, Brad Marchand, Sedano Chara, um, Patrice Bergeron. And now, Chara's gone, and although Tuka Rass was on the team that when they won the cup, but he was a backup to Tim Thomas. However, I feel that going into this season, as far as as far as the Bruins is concerned, there was a comment that was made. Well, there's talent. There's talent in terms of the young kids and so forth, and 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 I'm saying, well, you like? Would you like to, to show me who? Because I have concerns because now, mind you, the Bruins lost Tory Krug earlier this offseason to free agency. He went to go sign with the St. Louis Blues, and now you lose Charles. So now you have two big gaping holes on the left side of, of your defense. And, and, and I want to ask you, how important is it to have a good, solid left-handed shot defenseman to go along with, with the right side in which that – the Bruins seem to be lacking right now. The best pairing for the Bruins defensively is Charlie McAvoy and and as and as well the left-handed shot Matt Grizzlick. Yeah, you know, to me, I mean, there's advantages playing, you know, being a left-handed shot and a right-handed shot. And I'm not so sure about defense. I know when I I shot left, but uh, my best years in hindsight was when I played right wing shooting left. Wow. There's a lot of advantages coming in because somebody throws the puck to me. I'm coming off the right wing, throws from behind the net. I'm on my forehand right off the bat. I don't have to stop the puck. And it's probably the same with the defenseman. Mm. Your stick is pointing to the middle. You got more of the net you're looking at, more chance for deflections. So, so you know, to me, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a coach. And so, uh, you know, there, I haven't walked in those shoes and I haven't analyzed it. But in my mind, I want the best four, five, six defensemen. I don't care, you know, if you're all left-handed, okay. Maybe I can see there's going to be a disadvantage and I do my best to find a right-hander or somebody. But to me, and again, I'm not saying I'm right. I just want the best hockey players that are out there. And, you know, just about Chara, one more thing. uh, Okay, he's getting older. We all know that. We do know. It's legendary, the kind of conditioning he keeps himself in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Well, it's a shortened season. You're not talking 82 plus four rounds of playoffs. What is it, 56 games? 56. Okay, so right away there's 15, 16 games less that he has to play, Mm -hmm. which maybe works out to one less game a week. And if you were worried about his age, Okay, well, maybe you give them uh, a day off a little bit more than than you have in the past. Like, there's ways you can work with them, and especially with a shortened season, that works for them versus a long, long season. Like I said, when we won the Cup, we played 116 games. Lutara already is 16 games less starting, right? Yeah. That's got to work for them. So, anyways, I'm I'm not even a Bruins fan, and I'm sour. <laughs> Which tells me it's tell me an awful lot considering that like there's just his impact alone on the sport in terms of what he brings and what and, and his story of the fact that he what he, he was drafted by the islanders and so forth. It just it was just a tremendous uh loss in terms of for the Bruins and for, for the city of Boston, yeah, but as is. well as for uh, in terms of 
not for the NHL because he's still playing in the league right now with, with the Capitals, but just the change in itself was it was it was felt because in fact I listened to Hockey Central on the Sportsnet uh, radio network and I remember they let off the show um talking about that I'm talking about Chara going to Washington and and and, and Brian Burke who I absolutely love and respect his opinion being a former general manager and a Santa Cup winning general manager at that. You just you you just talking about like that is one of the few instances where you absolutely hate to be a decision maker because this isn't some bottom pairing or twenty third guy on the roster that we're talking about. We're talking about a surefire Hall of Famer, a guy who single handedly in many people's eyes, including myself, and I'm not saying this guy's a Bruins fan, single handedly may have been the most impactful NHL free agent signing ever. Well, you know what else? What I get, and we're talking about Chara. You know, when we do have meetings about the other teams when you're playing pro, you know, you didn't like. I can't speak about today, but sometimes, you know, you had some big games, and the coach would say, "Okay, get into the dressing room early. We're going to go over their lineups and let's talk about this team we're playing tonight." And they would say, "Well, you know what? When we look at their defensive, you know, squad that's out there." try to go over to this guy's side because he doesn't turn very well. Mm. And, you know, he, it's, he's slow. Go to that side. You never would hear that, go to Chara's side, okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he's older, you, they would never say, go to Chara's side because it's really, really hard to get by that guy. Like, mm. it's really hard. So, you know, he made some mistakes, and uh, sometimes – they just happen, man. You play enough hockey, you're going to make mistakes. That's just how it is. So to me, it was ill thought out. And this guy, you know, when when he loves Boston and uh, you, so he comes back to Boston. You think the fans are going to give him a standing O? I would hope so. That's if there's fans in the in, that's, in, in Well, the that's a good point. Yeah, I take that back. But I think you would see nothing but positive press clippings. Without question. With him coming back. And yeah. uh, you, yeah, for the should the reporters would be following him in his hotel room, like he's made an impact on that city. And just to cast them away in the time of his need, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah ne- ne- neither do I. And and just I got a couple of questions left now in terms yeah. of the upcoming season, fifty six games, and the way that it's formatted, bas- basically it's going to be teams that's going to be going up against each other. And a ferocious battle every yeah. single night. I mean, you look at the, the North Division, the, the Canadian Division. We talked about this earlier in the podcast. We also look at in, in stateside. You look at the East. You look at the the, the, the West and all, all, all that fun stuff. Is there a specific division that you look at and you say that you know what I'm most excited to see battle head to head on a nightly basis, given that. These, these teams, they're going to be playing a lot of back-to-backs. Well, you know, I, I, I would say I would say that with the parody today, everybody's got the salary cap. And I remember years ago, Stan, Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. They had an unbelievably talented team. They had to take that team apart because of uh, the salary cap, right? And so most of the teams, there's always a couple shitty teams, but even like a Buffalo is improved, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. 
these teams are all pretty well evenly matched. And so to me, let's see what the products are this year, what they've worked on, if they did any free agent signings. And I just think that the parity is, the, it, it's great. Most teams are any given night, you know, they could win, they could lose. And so to me, I just think that uh, the each divisions, you know, as it moves along, you could say then, I, at least I will, I'll say, now that is an exciting division. Did you just see the stats and what happened? And, and so to me, as much as I'm unsure about what this season is going to bring mm. as far as on ice, it's, it's, you know, there's still, those guys are trying to win once the puck's dropped. So I'm hoping it doesn't take away, um, you know, from, from the product on the ice. And I just think as this game starts, especially early in the season, there should be a lot of, uh, traditionally, it's like when the, everything was normal and I, you know, get to go to a game. If I have to buy tickets, it's they're too expensive for me. Mm. But if I had to buy tickets, I realized I would buy tickets the second half of the year. The first half of the year, to getting the kinks out, the conditioning, the timing, you know, there's a lot of factors in there. The second half of the year, everything's a lot more clear and crisper on the ice. And so I just think that you need that first 20 games or so to kind of tweak things. And then once the season really starts going after that, then it's going to unfold what we got. And so, so, yes. I don't think there's any division that I can hardly wait. I just need it to unfold and let's see what we got. It's going to be really fascinating to watch, especially when you, when you see that a lot of the players, they're going to be, working on getting rust off and the interesting part of this format is that there is no preseason games but just like there wasn't any preseason games during the 2012-13 uh lockout shortened season as well and la- last question i'll ask you and this is and i'm sure this is going to be a question that's going to get asked a lot whether especially whether it be in around the nhl or e- especially even in canada do you see this year finally being the year that a Canadian team hoists the Stanley Cup for the first time since 1993. And what team, in your opinion, has the best chance of doing that based on what you've seen on, on what they've accomplished in the offseason? Are you talking about NHL-wide? Like, NHL. who's going to end up winning the Cup? Well, you know, like, it would... Go ahead. No, no. In, in terms of, like, which... Do you think a Canadian team yeah. will, will yeah. win the Cup this year? And if so, which team do you think? You know what? I could tell you, being a Canadian, and like, was it the early '80s? The last time a Canadian team won? 1993 like, Montreal Canadiens. '93. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's they. You know, we always say in Canada, it's in the papers. When are we going to get somebody that's in any team that's going to go farther? And you say, okay, well, we got six teams in the playoffs. Okay, well, we got three now. Oh, okay, we don't have anybody, <laughs> right? Every yeah. year, that's what it is. And so, you know, you go into it by, wow, look at Toronto's lineup. Man, they've got a lot of real good players. Edmonton, they've got Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. And, you know, you look for those positives. You know, I would like to say, yeah, I think that uh, Edmonton, Toronto, they're going to do it this year. I really think they're going to do it. In reality, 
I just haven't seen any one team make that huge adjustment. And now they've really added some key players. And I've always said this. Usually the teams that win the cup, their goaltending is second to none. Yeah, You've got to have good goalies. You have to. Because yeah. there's yeah. times like when I play with Montreal, you know, we know that as a forward, if you make a mistake, well, we have our great defensemen with Montreal Canadiens, the Serge Savards, Guy Lapointe, Larry Robinson, like those guys. Rod Langway was there, right? We had great defense. You said, well, we make mistakes as a forward, but they can't get by our D, man. We got great D. Well, if they got by D, we had Ken Dryden in the net. Mm. And we'd say, they're not going to beat Kenny. And Kenny, so many times, he won the game himself for us when some nights you always try your best, but some nights you're a little flatter than others. Kenny would keep us in the game, keep us in the game. And his track record, even before I got there, he was a great goalie. He, he had his moments when he, you know, wasn't playing quite up to par. But overall, you knew, you know, Kenny would stop the puck. And so to me, uh, you know, it boils down to who, what goalies. I remember Jonathan Quick, how well he yeah. used to do. And then you could get a puck by that guy. And the Kings won the Stanley Cup. And then Jonathan, you know, he's not as, as good as he used to be in that. Mm-hmm. It kind of caught up to him. And the Kings aren't playing very well either. And so to me, last year, um, I predicted that, uh, that Tampa Bay was going to win. You're right. Even in the first half of the season, the first two or three months, they sucked. They were way down there. And my son, we did a podcast and he said, Dad, you can change your mind now. It doesn't look like Tampa Bay is going to do too much this season. And I was tempted to, to switch. I said, you know what, Chris, I'm just going to, I'm going to stick with Tampa Bay. And you know what? They got their act together. Goldie stopped pucks, scores started to score. Defense did their job and they ended up winning. So I don't know. I haven't been able to follow other than Chara. Who's really, and, and, and also I know that Buffalo has made a couple key acquisitions. I really don't know the movement of the players and who's surfacing where and maybe some of the draft choices that were picked, how they're going to make an impact or not. Um, so if Tampa Bay hasn't changed their lineup too much, probably I'm going to try, I'm going to go out there and thinking they could do it again. The only um, major loss that I would say that they that they've sustained is the loss of Nikita Kucherov. He he had surgery on his hip, and that's a big loss, especially considering yes. just how much firepower um, the Tampa Bay Lightning offense had with him in the lineup. I mean, you talk about with him and Stamkos; he's returning back healthy. Um, okay. And and and, um, and you you also you you look at um, Braden Point as well. So, I mean, the loss of Kucherov for the season is going to be a big blow, but that team hasn't had a whole lot of uh, roster turnover. I mean, okay. Zach Pagoshin is gone, but that, but, but that team is still very much at the top of my list in terms of teams that could very well win the Stanley Cup th- on this year. Well, you know, that Russian you just said, he could score goals. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He could score. He's like we were talking about. There's some guys that have that ability. They get the puck on that. Doesn't matter if it goes off a defenseman's shin pad. It goes mm-hmm. in the net. They got that ability. I don't know how you could. And so they won the Stanley Cup. 
without Steven Stamkos, mm-hmm. right? So Kucherov, he scored the goals. Now he's not there. Stamkos is coming back. Maybe, just maybe, they want it without him, and maybe with you know, because Stamkos is a great, great hockey player. Absolutely. You know, maybe, just maybe, the, our draft choices kind of goes and helps a little bit more. But you know, they got enough firepower. It's just like in Montreal. We had enough firepower that if one of the goal scorers got hurt, there was somebody else that would step up. Like we just had it there. And that's maybe what I'm thinking that Tampa Bay, you know, I mean, they'd be better with Kushoff, but, you know, without them, they may have somebody in the lineup that'll step up. It's been a pleasure to have you back on the podcast uh, with you on today, uh, Mr. Cam Connor. And, Listen, happy, happy new year to you and your family. Stay safe, stay healthy. And for sure, I most look almost certainly look forward to to talking with you again. Yeah. Like once once the season commences and we actually have a better idea as to like what team is um, doing well on this upcoming NHL season. Well, thank you very much for the call. It's always a, a pleasure talking to you. You're a professional and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. My pleasure.